0: Welcome to the mini-break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, September 21st. It's crazy to think we're only eight days removed from the end of the 2020 U.S. Open, eight days removed from Naomi Osaka Dominic team capturing the year's second major title, and yet... In those past eight days, we've seen one of the year's biggest clay court events come and go, the ATP WTA events in Rome, officially in the books now, obviously for us fans. It's really one of our first times seeing our favorite players competing on the clay. We've got to see the chance, you know, guys like Casper Root, Christian Guerin, they did take advantage of the clay court portion early in the 2020 season before COVID-19. Uh, obviously on the WTA side, there were a couple events on clay prior to everyone heading to New York. In Palermo, we saw Fiona Farrow take home a title. In Prague, we saw Simona Halep win. So while we've seen a little bit of clay court tennis, last week's event in Rome and then this week in Hamburg for the men, and I believe uh, for the women this week, they are in Strasbourg, uh, it's really the first opportunity for so many of these players to find their rhythm on the dirt, to try and find what's working for them, what's not as we head into the year's third Grand Slam. And of course, again, with so much action going on across the globe. It's not just this WTA ATP event in Rome. We had so many challengers, so many futures events last week. You know, for me, a really fun thing, the return of Ana who is who was one of the most talented uh, junior women of the 2010 decade. Uh, she is finally looking healthy again, coming back from injury. She wins an ITF level event. That's something for all of us to get excited about. Of course, we got another victory on the Challenger Tour from young, talented Spaniard Carlos burner. Uh, We see French Open qualies kicking off this week. Things are rocking and rolling in the tennis world, so what I want to do today, try and keep things organized, try and keep things on the shorter side. Of course, we here at Crack Rackets have so much preview content for the French Open planned for you fans uh, throughout this week, so be on the lookout for that. I think today will serve as a good primer to sort of reset the scene, talk about where we are in terms of, uh, you know, what we know about this clay court action, what we know is possible from these players on the clay who are the players we should be circling as contenders, dark horses. Uh, All of those things we're going to be doing throughout the week here at Cracked Rackets, but I just want to give my thoughts of where we are at following Rome. Of course, I want to talk about those other results a little bit. Talk about some of the news we see emerging uh, on the ground at Roland Garros because there have been some concerning developments. Let's be honest. Uh, All of us know, trying to hold a Grand Slam in the midst of a global pandemic uh, incredibly difficult, trying to bring together an international event as well with players traveling from all across the globe. That's just another added element. And then, of course, for all of these players' testing procedures and what they're comfortable doing, what they don't want to do, the fact that they don't really have a say in you know what the procedures are each tournament is trying to put forward and the issues that arise from that. Players who might test positive, who dispute whether they tested positive or not, all of the drama we've seen throughout the U.S. Open that has carried over to the French. Open. So, of course, I want to talk a little bit about where we are at with that. But the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast, the reason we are able to help get you all prepared for all of the action at this year's French Open is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. And again, I'll keep things simple here. Look good, feel good, play good. Midwest Sports, uh, Aerobar, cracked rackets. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls to ensure you have everything you need to make your return to the court a success. For AeroBars, the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business, more potassium than a banana, delicious cinnamon, honey oat, and chocolate chip flavors. And it's not going to melt in your bag. You're going to get your fitness, get your nutrition where you need it to be, and you're going to play that much better on the court. So MidwestSports.com, the promo code is CR15. Go to AeroBar.com. The promo code is Cracked15. Now, you <laughs> With all of that in mind, again, here's the plan for today's podcast. I'm going to go through the Rome women's results. I'm not going to talk about every match because that in this pod will be an hour of just me talking, Uh, but I want to talk about the players who really stood out at these events. Uh, So we'll go through the Rome women, the Rome men. We'll talk a little bit about everything else, what you all as fans can expect to be watching this week, what you can expect from us this week, Uh, and then we'll rock and roll into another day's mini break. Of course, I'm sure there will be a tangent or two along the way. Uh, but let's start with the Rome women, because obviously, uh, Simona Halep taking home another clay title—something all of us can be excited about. For Halep here uh, this week, you look at her run: quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. I mean, three very different opponents for Simona Halep. You start with her uh, even round of sixteen match, I suppose, and who she beat there. I mean, for her, a five and four win over a dangerous Diana Yastremska, who was really locked in in a way she always she uh, you know isn't always, I suppose, is the kind way, the generous way of saying it, during matches. She was just laser-focused from start to finish. She actually ran out to an early break lead over Simona Halep in set number one, and, you know, yastremska has got this sort of firepower. It doesn't matter who you are. She can hit you off the court, but Simona Halep is playing, in my opinion, Probably the most confident, the most you know, lasered, laser focused, but also the most, I don't want to say carefree, but just relaxed tennis. She's giving herself margin, the confidence she has in herself to change direction, to go down the line, to throw in a slicer and a highly elevated topspin shot. Just all these different things she's doing, it, it allows her to have success regardless of how her opponent's playing. It allows her to buy a little bit of extra time to show off her movement skills, to turn defense into offense. And I mean, you're not going to find someone in the women's game who's more comfortable than Simona Halep movement-wise on the clan. She showed all of that off and more. And again, I was really impressed with Diana Yastremska in this match. She was, again, focused. There weren't those that huge gap, that huge lull in her level where she takes three games off. She hits nine uh, unforced errors in a three-game span, which is something that so often happens to her. That wasn't the case, and yet Simona Halep just look too good Simona Halep said with all due respect you're in the big leagues now Diana Yastrzemski you want to reach number two number one in the game as Simona Halep has so frequently over these past seven years Uh, you got to be able to do it point in point out and that's exactly what Simona Halep did so that was an outstanding win from her she carried that into a 6-2-2 love win over Yulia Putin-Seva, who was obviously physically hurting after two three-set wins for her over uh, Petra Martic and Alina Rabakina, respectively. But again, a player who's going to attack Halep in different ways. You know, it's power, power, power for putin It's placement, it's slice, it's drop shot. It didn't matter. Through the early going, that match was all Simona Halep. And then you get to the Muguruza semifinal, and... I, I think I said semifinal there because I tried to say Muguruza, and so I said the Muguruza semifinal. I just stuck with the Spanish all the way through. I apologize for that. Mugarutha the Muguruza semifinal, uh, Halep and Muguruza facing off there. And look, we'll get to the Muguruza component in a second, but for Simona Halep, it's just – physically, match in, match out, it doesn't matter what her opponent is doing, she just has the game style for clay court, it's why she's a former French Open champion, because the way she moves the ball around the court, the way she changes direction, the way she elevates the ball with spin, the way she takes returns early, the way she takes control of the point, again, the fact that she slides into her shots, not out of them, you're just, it was a beautiful clay court match, and Garbine Muguruza brought the goods this week in Madrid. For anyone who forgot over that five and a half months, oh yeah, Muguruza made the Australian Open final. Oh yeah, she was a player who, at the start of the season, it looked like we were about to enjoy a nice little Muguruza renaissance. Uh, Simona Halep just, you know, she was up big in that second set. She won the first set 6-3. I believe she was up a break 2-love, maybe even 3-love on Muguruza. And Muguruza stayed focused. She stayed locked in. She She's moving so well on the clay courts right now. She's taking balls early. She's playing big down the line. She had Halep on her back foot for a lot of this match, and yet it just doesn't matter because Simona Halep is playing that well right now, that confidently, moving that freely, and she's able to stay alive in this match, go up big. I think it was five-two in that second, se- in that uh, third set. Now Muguruza actually gets a couple of the breaks back and ends up serving for this match uh, to stay alive down four-five in that third set. But you know Halep able to make deep returns. She just plays such efficient tennis for Halep now. You know, Muguruza was in every Halep service game, and I do sometimes worry, especially with what we see in the modern composition of WTA players. There are so many players who, on a one-off day, if they're treeing, they have—treeing is too strong a word—if they're playing their best tennis, they have the firepower to hit a uh, Sabalenka—a Sabalenka, excuse me, there's where my brain was—a Simona Halep off the court. Right now, Simona— Arena Sabalenka would have to play her best tennis on a clay court, but you know players like a Karolina Pliskova, who was obviously injured in that final, but you think she'd have the goods to sort of hit her off the court. Obviously, a Sabalenka is going to have that sort of firepower. Muguruza has that sort of firepower, but your margin for error against Simona Halep is so small because if there's any sort of slip up, you give her any sorts of free points. uh, She's going to take it and run with it. And in this match, you know Halep faced 15 break points, but but she created 18 for herself against Muguruza. Halep, you know, only 12 of 29 on second serve points, only 32 of 62 on first serve points. But she made sixty-nine or 68% of her first serve. So even though Muguruza won a higher percentage of first serve points, Halep, 32 of 62, Muguruza, 33 of 57. That's only a one-point difference. And then, again, you look at the second serve points, Muguruza, 14 of 43 on second serve points, 8 double. A faults in the match. Halep just a little Bit better there. Uh, she breaks Nine times on 18 chances Muguruza again seven breaks On 15 chances and you know, this was a match with really thin margins, and yet Simona Halep just continues to put herself in a position to succeed. She is not only my favorite entering the French Open, and you look what Simona Halep's accomplished this year. I mean, it's absolutely incredible in terms of the things she has done uh, this season. Just quietly ripping through another outstanding stretch. You talk about what she has done again this year. I believe she's something like twenty and two now uh, on the season, which is just outstanding. And you. Look Look at the things she has done uh, along the way. She obviously won the title uh, earlier this year, I believe, a couple of titles. She won the one in Prague. Uh, that one we know. She also won in Dubai uh, when she knocked off Rabakina seven six in the third in the Australian Open. You know, a six and five loss to Muguruza. We've seen this matchup before. These are two players playing their best tennis this year. But I mean, for Simona Halep, again, two losses for her in twenty twenty. She lost in a quarterfinal to Sabalanka in Adelaide. Since then, she went semifinals of Australian Open, champion in Dubai, champion in Prague, now champion in Rome. You look at the live rankings, this Is it going to surprise anyone to learn that Simona Halep, number two in the world right now. And of course, if she can get a French Open title, add to her resume, considering she didn't play the U.S. this year, but has those Wimbledon championship points from last year. She really does have a chance to get back to number one in the world. I know Ashley Barty not playing the French Open, uh, obviously, due to COVID-19, and she deserves to have those points protected for uh, for her, and I know the ranking system currently does that, but Simona Halep, who right now, I believe, is plus 275 to win the Australian Open, justifiably so. I mean, again, what I kind of want to do here when I'm talking about the Rome women moving forward uh, is, you know, look at it in tiers, right? Because in terms of the top contenders, I think Simona Halep, right? Now is in a tier by herself. I think on a clay court she's that confident. She's playing that freely. She belongs to you know. You look at DraftKings; she's the only player really in a, a below five to one odds, below even ten to one odds. Because I put Halep in tier one by herself. I just think it's going to be such a tough out. You have to play so well to beat her in a two out of three set match. And again. Do I think players like an Azarenka, a Ruth are playing well enough right now to where they could hit her off the court in three sets? Absolutely. But until they do that, Simona Help is my favorite entering the French Open. She looks so great, again, all week long here uh, in Rome. She's playing confidently, justifiably so. She is my favorite heading into the French Open. In terms of the Tier 2 players right now and how they competed uh, here in uh, Rome, obviously Serena not in the field. You have to throw her in tier two just based on respect alone. She's playing not well at all heading into the US Open, and yet she still found herself in the semifinals. But three other players who deserve notoriety. We've talked a little bit about Muguruza, who at, you know, 10-1 to 1 odds, I believe, is right now the third uh, best bet on this French Open behind Pliskova, plus 700. Yeah, then Muguruza, uh 10-1. to 1. And look, for Muguruza, this was an outstanding bounce-back tournament. She played such few matches heading into the U.S. Open and still managed to get a couple of wins before falling, I believe, to Peronkova. Uh, but here, you know, the wins just kept coming. Great 4-1 win for her over Joe Conta. She followed that up with an immensely impressive three six six three six four win over Vika Azarenka. And I already talked about the comeback for her against Halep, but to look at her against Vika, I mean, she's maybe the one player right now who just didn't flinch. She wasn't afraid of Vika Azarenka. She was willing to make that extra ball. She was willing to go big down the line, try and make Vika uncomfortable, trying to be the one to move forward on Vika, take time away, hit the big serve out wide, then hit a swinging forehand volley, and just force Vika to continue to make magic, and to Vika's credit, you know, she continues to move so well, play so confidently, but, you know, you forget Garbine Muguruza former French Open champion, she's so comfortable moving on the dirt, and she just has the sort of power that she can just hit you off the court, and again, in clay court tennis, it's so essential to be able to change direction and also dictate terms with your ground strokes. Muguruza did that all week long in this match against Azarenka. You know, she creates uh, 17 break chances for herself, converts seven of them now. Vika had 14 break chances and converted six, so again, We're seeing a lot of breaks of serve here, but, I mean, for Mukarusa, it's how effective she was on the second serve that was the biggest difference in this match for her 17 of 36 on her second serve points. She was able to dig herself out of big Vika returns and still find a way to scrap. For Vika, Azarenka, 10 of 32 on second serve points. I just think Muguruza played a little bit better defense in this match. She was able to play big down the line. And again, Vika played really well. There's a reason she's a tier two contender. All this level, it's real, folks. If you thought there was going to be any slip up, any sort of I don't know, layoff, letdown after this U.S. Open run, you're incorrect Uh, and Vika looks that good right now, but Garbine Muguruza is just playing some outstanding tennis, she deserved to be there ditto by the way for Karolina Pliskova, who we'll talk about more, but she was now what, I think she was the two-time defending champion at this event in Rome, she gets some really impressive wins along the way as well for Pliskova you know, down the home stretch, she knocks off Blinkova in straight sets, she beats Mertens in three, then she beats a really informed Marketa Vandrusova who just even as good as her lefty forehand is moving the ball around the court even as effective as Vandrusova is with the drop shot and by the way Vandrusova here in Rome reminding everyone why she was the French Open finalist last year I have her in terms of tier 3 in my contenders but just too much pop from Carolina Pliskova. She's able to change direction so well. She's able to control the terms of play. She played outstanding tennis and justifiably uh, found herself in the final where, again, she just ran into a buzzsaw in Simona Halep and also Pliskova uh, injuring herself, I think, a little bit in the semifinal. Played such a physical quarterfinal as well. Uh, more of a precautionary measure pulling out there of the final. But credit to Simona Halep, who, again, enters right now as the favorite, in my opinion, in the French Open. You want to hear a brief front down. Here are my tiers right now in terms of where we're at for French Open contenders. Tier 1, Simona Halep sitting by herself. Tier 2, I have Muguruza, Azarenka, Pliskova, and Serena. Tier 3 is where things get interesting, right? Alina Svitolina, she looks pretty good. On the clay, she's made a semifinals at the French Open before, or maybe that was Wimbledon last year. But still, you know, you can see why her game works on clay. She moves well. She can change directions. She's so relentless. I just, you know, again, tier three, because I don't know if she's going to be able to beat multiple top five players. She matches up with Halepa, Muguruza, back-to-back. I just think one of them is going to be able to hit her off the court. Some other names, we mentioned Marquetta van Andrusova, the lefty, showing off just her variety with her forehand. It's a big stroke. It's loopy. But she can go heavy cross-court. She can elevate high over the net. She can go down the line. As I mentioned, she's comfortable moving forward, hitting the swinging volleys, hitting backhand drop shots, just a lot of variety. She's obviously so comfortable moving on the clay as well. She gets thrown into Tier 3. And then a couple of other names that I'm just not ready to give up on, you know, Cantave, Kennen, um, those are names I've been on, and Sabalenka, those are names you've heard me talk about since the tennis restart, so I'm going to just throw those in there, but then, you know, a Joe Conta, uh, a Kiki Burtons, a Petra Martich, those are all names that should not surprise anyone to see succeed uh, here come Coming at the French Open. But those were the women's results. uh, For the men's results, again, uh, it was a really fun week of tennis. We saw Novak Djokovic emerge as a champion. Djokovic dropping uh, just one set all week long. That set coming in his semifinal match, excuse me, in his quarterfinal match against Dom Kopfer. But Djokovic is going to Djokovic, folks. I mean, the second Rafa loss in this tournament to Diego Schwartzman in the draw opened up for him. You know, I I said it at the beginning of the week. Two guys were going to win this. It's either going to be Rafa Nadal doing the things he does on clay or it's going to be Novak Djokovic who will continue to show why he was undefeated in 2020 in matches that weren't decided by him hitting a line judge in the throat. And I mean, he just rocks and rolls. He changes directions well. He throws in the drop shot. He's on top of the baseline. Again, you... In a world without Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic would get more appreciation for the sort of clay court skills he has, and even in Rafa's prime, Djokovic was the only guy with the movement capability, with the ability to change direction, who... Could actually beat Rafa in two out of three sets on clay, as he did at multiple uh, Masters events. But simply put, you know, I don't want to beat it at horse. We all know what a good Novak Djokovic looks like. We got that performance here this week, and you talk. I talked about the tiers of contenders for the French Open for the women, uh, for the men. I think Tier One is a two-tier, uh, is a two-person tier. I think Rafa Nadal, given his success, he's lost what under ten times in his career. I think he's what like. Something like ninety-one and two, or like eighty-nine and two, or something crazy at the French Open. Uh, he will be in Tier One until he, you know, loses multiple years in a row at the French Open. Even if he lost this year, he'd still enter probably the twenty twenty-one French Open as the favorite, unless it's some team who beats him. But we'll save that conversation for another time. But you know, again, Tier One, Rafa. Djokovic, without question, Djokovic is playing that well and just a motivated Novak Djokovic. I feel like that's where we're going to get down the home stretch. And a Novak Djokovic with extra motivation is maybe the scariest thing in professional tennis because, again, I will continue to argue no man has pushed the boundaries of what is possible on a tennis court more than Novak Djokovic, the level he's shown these past 10 years just... I mean, again, I'm not going to beat a dead horse. You know how good he is. That's how good he was here uh, this week in terms of what he was able to pull off. But there were a ton of other interesting results, notable players doing some really cool things. Let's start with Dom Kopfer, who, as I mentioned, uh, reached the quarterfinal here at this event for Kopfer. A couple of really good wins for him over Hour, Monfis, then follows that up with a win over young Italian Lorenzo Musetti, uh, even to get a set off Djokovic, I mean, not that that's the end-all be-all, but just indicative of how well Kopfer's playing. He moves the ball around the court so well. Lefty slides into his shot. Again, uh, plenty confident, just tricky, tricky out, and you look for Kopfer now in terms of where he is in the rankings. Dom Kopfer uh, currently at a new career high of number 66, and Look at. He signed up to play Hamburg right now, and credit to him, once you're in the top 100 for the first time, you start getting those looks at big paychecks, like at 250 or Masters 1000 events, you play as many of those events as you can. Uh, and obviously for Copefer, he reaches the quarterfinals in his first ATP 1000 appearance. According to my friend, at Luca, Beck, here's the list of players who reached at least the quarterfinals in their first Masters 1000. In the last 25 years, you had guys like Felix Mantilla do it, michael Gamble, Harold Levy Brian Valle Marcos Baghdadis or Vahale is it Brian Vahale I always pronounce it wrong anyways Baghdadis Jersey Janowitz and now Dom Kopfer. So one of seven guys to do it in the past uh twenty five years. Obviously, that's awfully impressive. And now he finds himself in the top seventy five. And for those of you who don't know, that's ATP pension range. So, you know, do I think Dominic Kopfer is going to win uh the, the French Open? No, I do not. Would it shock me to see Dominic Kopfer in a third fourth round if the draw breaks correctly? No, because we've seen him in a third, fourth round of a grand slam before. He did it at the twenty nineteen US Open, the lefty former number one player in the uh, in the ITA just continues to look better and better just such a well-rounded game and so uh, really excited for him and a guy who we've talked to here of course before on our cracked interviews podcast as well he was a standout performer another one Casper root who you may remember as uh, the son of Christian Rood uh, he is becomes he reaches his first ATP 1000 quarterfinal 23 years after his father did it uh, he also becomes the first norwegian man ever into a master's 1000 singles final after he knocked off Matteo Berrettini, 4-6, 6-3, 7-6. I have talked so much about Ruud Rudin the past week. I'll just continue to say it. The way he moves direction, the, the heaviness of his forehand, his comfort on the dirt from a movement perspective, and then, you know, the pop, the variety he displays. Uh, second week of the French Open should not, you know, draw dependent if he gets Dominic Team third round or Novak Djokovic or Rafa Nadal. Uh, obviously, I don't expect him to make the second week. But if he gets anyone else, and I'm talking even if it's Medvedev, I'm talking even if it's Paz, it's not if it's Zverev because, you know... Alex Zverev, me, special relationship. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, at length in this preview, but short of those top three guys, I expect to see Casper uh, Rude into uh, the fourth round, and hopefully he won't draw Berrettini because I think Berrettini's another guy you could see make a deep run at the French. He's just so proficient on the clay. His power tennis clearly translates, uh, but Casper Rude, uh, again, he won a title earlier this year on the dirt. He's It's been his most successful surface in his career, I believe. He made third round of the French Open last year should not shock anyone, and the expectation for him should be, and I know he's playing in Hamburg, and you know that's a questionable decision. I don't know why you don't just take the rest and get ready for the French Open, but hey, if you've got fresh legs, use them uh, evidently. Again, second week is the expectation for me. Another guy who was exceptional and now finds himself in the top 10 second Canadian man ever to break the top 10 on the ATP Tour, uh, Denis Shapovalov. Who reached the semifinals here in Madrid this week? Uh, the lefty knocking off players such as Pedro Martinez, the tricky Spaniard, Hugo Umbert, Grigor Dimitrov, before falling in a three set battle to Diego Schwartzman, who I promise we're going to get to, folks. Um, but for Shapovalov, he becomes the third youngest player to reach 100 ATP level wins in the last 10 years. The players are uh, younger than him, Stefano Tsitsipas did it at age 21 and two months. Alex Zverev, 20 years and three months. Again, you want to know why I find Zverev so special? That is why. Here's the list, by the way, of the the youngest people to do it in the last 10 years: Zverev, Tsitsipas, Chapo, Chorich, Rublev, Kyrgios, Tomich. Damn, that's a little bit sad. Raonic, Team Dimitrov, uh, and that comes from at tennis my life 68. Um, yeah. Dennis Shapovalov continues to show why he's so special. It's because uh, the lefty just has a ball that translates to be a heaviness regardless of surface. He's got the athleticism that translates regardless of surface. And you see a guy who's becoming more and more confident in his game. Quarterfinals of the U.S. Open. He just seems to have ironed out some of the wrinkles. Instead of going 130% uh, the entire time, there are now times when in a rally he'll go 90%, 85%. Just open up the court for himself before unloading on one of those specials special forehand, special backhand, special things that he does. Uh, obviously, Denis Shapovalov's talent, it, um, it's not new to say he's a talented player, uh, but it's really starting to manifest itself. He's starting to put the whole package together, and if you're a fellow ATP player, that's a scary sight because uh, few players uh, have the sort of upside, have the sort of potential to dominate in the way uh, that, in my opinion, Denis Shapovalov does. So that's a really impressive result from him. And then the last one, Dan Diego Schwartzman, first Masters final of his career. Obviously, for him to knock off Rafa for the first time in 10 tries. It was incredible. And I mean, you know, we've made this joke before. If tennis was ground stroke games, Diego Schwartzman would be ranked even higher than he is right now because the physical limitations that Uh, hold back his serve are the only weakness in his game his movement exceptional drop shots feel around the court exceptional Uh, ground strokes changing direction on the clay exceptional ability to absorb pace and dish it back exceptional now sometimes the ball does sit up but I mean Diego Schwartzman is a fighter a scrapper in every definition of the world and I mean just look at his wins this week win over John Millman Win over Hubie Her- Her- Hurkacz, three sets, straight set win over Rafa. He follows that up with a three set battle against Diego Schwartz uh, against, excuse me, Denis Shapovalov, and then today, really good fight for him against Novak Djokovic, and you look for Diego Schwartzman, fun little fact for all of you heightists out there, he becomes the shortest player to reach an ATP Masters Tournament, Five foot seven, shorter than Michael Pernfors, Michael Chang, Marcelo Rilo, Sebastian Grosian. to be honest, if they used his real height, uh, it would be an even smaller margin, but I mean the guy is just all fight, all tenacity, and do I think 3 out of 5 sets he can win the French Open? No. Truthfully, I just don't think he has the weapons to do that, but it's an incredible result. And again, Not everyone can be Rafa, Roger, uh, Novak. Not everyone can even be Marin Cilic and win a Grand Slam. It's the Diego Schwartzmans of the world that make the tour go, you know, the ATP level week in, week out, day in, day out. The people who just maximize their talent, who clearly have an affection not only for performing in front of fans, but just playing and advancing the game. And that's Diego Schwartzman in a nutshell. You can just see the joy on his face with each and every result, each and every win he puts up. And that's what you want from your professional tennis players. You want them to care. You want it to matter to them. And there's not a single match that goes by that doesn't matter to Diego Schwartzman. And he just deserves it. He deserves this run. So uh, so outstanding for him. Uh, obviously, just a fun fact. This comes from at Bastion Fashan. He is... Uh, there have been, over the past five years, four players to win a set 6-2 or better against Rafa Nadal. Andy Murray's done it. Alex Vera's done it. Fabio Fonini's done it. De- Diego Schwartzman's done it. Clay, only Diego Schwartzman uh, won that match. So Murray, Zira, Fonini, all six-two winners. Excuse me, I think Fonini also won. uh, Now that I look at it, last year on Monte Carlo. But I mean, imagine going five years and only losing four sets, six, two or worse. Do you know how good you have to be? Do you know how hard you have to compete to not just throw away a single set, third round French Open, I'm up two sets to love, I go down a three love early break, I'm just going to throw this set away. No, not Rafael Nadal, four Total set 6-2 or fewer on clay. That's just ridiculous. And it's, by the way, why he's allowed to lose a match like he did to Diego Schwartzman and still head into the French Open as a prohibitive favorite alongside Novak Djokovic. And look, just two other quick things. So well, I guess now we can go to everything else. Uh, just a couple of other quick things from Rome. One, I completely agree with everyone who's been saying it, and I mentioned it in a tweet earlier in the week as well. The surface was a joke. I mean, some of the bounces we saw were just embarrassing, like the divots and just the bad bounces off of lines. and. It's an absolute good joke. I mean, if you're an ATP event, I know the fact that we're holding it in the midst of a uh, a global pandemic, the fact that we're even playing any tennis, focus on the positives, don't complain about the little things, but these are the best of the best. And if you're going to have them play, uh, let's make the surfaces worthy of their time. And just the amount of bad bounces, I mean, I mentioned this last week, at one point Yoshihide Nishioka, who is the most mild-mannered, kindest human I have ever met in tennis, looks at a line judge and says, yeah, these courts are an absolute joke. And if he's saying it, You just know it's true, and it is true. I mean, some of the bounces were just they were porous, they were atrocious, and so that's unacceptable. Another big thing that's going, making the rounds, as it always does when the clay court portion of the year begins, should there be shot spots, should there be Hawkeye on these clay courts? And it's been written about on tennis.com before, uh, what one expert has said, I believe his name is Peter Irwin, uh, according to Hawkeye officials. One thing that's integral to our system is we measure the court, but we also measure the undulations, Mm, undulations, the undulations in the ground so when you play on clay obviously the ground is constantly changing so that would require a lot more work from our side we would constantly have to recalibrate the system if it were to be used for officiating on a hard court we do it once at the start of the tournament because the surface doesn't change on grass we do calibrate calibrate constantly throughout, but Clay is just a lot more. And that article, by the way, found on tennis dot com, shared by Eric Johansson, but originally written by Kamakshi Tandon, one of our favorites here at Cracked Rackets. Um I mean it look, would it be great if Hawkeye existed? Yeah, I think uh, it's I am pro Hawkeye I, Why have any mistakes If we can have an enough ele- an, technology Iron out any user error In terms of the calls we see in a tennis match Let's do that Because we want to get it right And if the technology is available to get it right Let's get it right What one thing that's repeatedly been said, the technology is not available right now at uh, on clay. And look, I know that sounds really stupid. Could there be a moving sensor in the, in the future that can monitor the undulations of the ground on a clay court? I do think that is something technologically very possible, but I also completely resonate with that fact. These players are moving around the court and the composition of the clay changes from spot to spot throughout a match. That's why you have to rake the clay court in between sets, right? It's why anytime you play on clay, you do that that after you're done playing, as well, just to even out all of the clay, make sure it's evenly distributed across the court. If it's not, it's going to lead to sensor error. And you know what would be even more annoying than a line judge getting it wrong would be if these sensors, which we are saying, hey, these sensors are 100% accurate. If they're not 100% accurate, so until they are, and even you know 100% accurate, fine. Until they're 99.9% accurate, until the margin of error is so minimal that it's non-significant, uh, we can't do it. We just can't, and of course, we're getting closer and closer, uh, but the technology's just not ready on clay, and so that's where I stand on that issue, uh, but of course, I do hope we can get the, someday the technology ready, because as much as I love officials, let's just get these calls right if we can, so that's my position on that topic. A couple of other things, again, on finally back on court after just dealing with so many injuries these past few years, does not drop a set On uh, her way to the title at the ITF in Croatia, and I mean... I wish you could see the smile on my face right now. Seriously, anaconya the 2013, I believe she was, what, uh, singles and doubles junior champion at the Australian Open in January 2013. She won the girls' singles event at the 2013 U.S. Open. Uh, she was, uh, you know, one of the top juniors in the world. She reached, I believe, a quarterfinal even at the U.S. Open at the WTA level back in uh, 2016. At that time, she was 19 years old, still only 22, uh, but has just had so many injuries over The course of her career, and now finally, you know, she's had elbow surgery. She wrote, an outstanding piece, actually, uh, for our friends at Behind the Racket, Noah Rubin, uh, of course, with that, but, uh, you know, for her, uh, just really, really excited to see her healthy and playing again, because when she's healthy and playing again, she's one of the most exciting people in the game, so shout out to Ana on that title. Another shout out, by the way, to Carlos Taberner, as I mentioned earlier, huge win for him uh, in Iasi, Romania. I think I called it Lassi, excuse me, it's Iasi. Uh, he got a 7-6 in the Third win over Hami Munar. Who, by the way, I said at the beginning of the week, if Hami Munar makes the semifinals or better at this Iasi Challenger, I will take him seriously as a guy who not win the French Open, but make a third round, fourth round, maybe upset a top thirty seed, not necessarily a top fifteen seed, but a top thirty seed. And he matched that expectation. He did that, so that was a really good result for him. But to Borner, uh, I mean, the Spaniard looks better and better on the dirt, so that's a really good win uh, for him and a of course, there were a couple of other really fun futures results we were following. The kooky monster, Daniel Kukerman, who was outstanding last week. Nuno Borges continues to be uh, the best bet you can make on the futures tour. And you look for Nuno last week, actually, just quickly. How did he end up doing? I believe uh, you look for Nuno last week. Did he lose that match to Fannislau or did he end up beating him? No, he did end up losing to Fanislaw in the quarterfinals. But, you know, so many college players across the across the globe right now continuing to rock and roll. And they'll be able to this week as well as we have more events on tap for us prior to getting into this week's French, or next week's French Open, um, you know, we've got the action in Strasbourg, and in case you're interested, we've got so many great players taking place in the action there, Kiki Burtons, uh, Sloane Stephens already knocked out though, but Alina Rybakina, Alize Cornet, Ekaterina Alexandrova, uh, obviously you've got Katerina Siniakova, Arina Sabalenka, Jill Teichman, uh, Amanda Nisimova, Alina Svitolina, all of these players in play as they try try and again get their legs back under them prior to the French open starting for the men uh tons of players. Honestly, a surprising amount of players playing in Hamburg this week. A lot of them were names that lost early last week. You know, you see a Tsitsipas, a Dan Evans, a Jan-Leonard Struff Karen Hatchinov, Taylor Fritz, Gael Monfils, all in action. Christian Guerin, Nishikori, FAA, Bublik, Rublev, Tommy Paul already knocking off ten, uh, Kevin Anderson. You see Dom Kopfer taking advantage of his special exemption. Fabio Fognini playing this event. And then, of course, Casper Rude surprisingly playing this event. And then the number one, Seated Daniil Medvedev wanting to get a couple of clay matches under his belt before, again, the action starts in Paris. So it's a loaded uh, week of tennis. Again, the action isn't slowing down for anyone. Two outstanding challengers uh, this week as well to go along with French Open qualies, which we'll talk about in. It. Actually, we're going to save French Open qualies for tomorrow. I do apologize for that. I just, you know, we're going to save all of the French Open stuff for tomorrow, actually, because uh, we learned, you know, a couple of players have tested positive for COVID 19. We've learned a couple of players in the draw in Qualis also testing positive those players since removed from the draw we will focus on that a little bit later, but again, in terms of the things to expect this week, action in Hamburg, action in Strasbourg, two challengers as well, you know, for the challenger in Italy, the number one seed there this week, Francis Tiafo, the number two seeded Cam Nori, uh, so all these players, Yuki Sikido, uh Lloyd Harris, Salvatore Caruso, Andre Seppi, all top 100 guys just trying to get more repetitions in before the French Open kicks off, of course, we've got another challenger going on as well, that features. Players, Arthur Rindernak, the number one seed. Quentin Hallease, the number two seed. Malik Jaziri, Francisco Serendolo. Guys I love, like Borna Gojo, the former college standout. They're all taking place in the challenger in Romania. So, of course, be on the lookout for that. And then, as I mentioned, uh, French Open Qualies rocking and rolling on. We already saw number one seeded Tiago Sabeth vild shockingly knocked out in straight sets from former USC standout Emilio Gomez. That was a, a funky result, to say the least. You know, Blaz rolla the number 32 seed, knocked out. Chris O'Connell, the number three seed, knocked out by Elias Yemmer. Pedro Sosa, the number four seed, already knocked out of Qualies as well. Dennis Kudla, the sixth seed, already knocked out for the men. So seeds falling across the board. Uh, of course, for the women, uh, you look at where they are at, number one seeds. And I think all of the women's qualifying action actually slated to kick off tomorrow. So uh, we'll focus on that tomorrow. And again, I want to talk about the implications of people testing positively within that French Open bubble with someone else, so be on the lookout for that, but action continues to rock and roll here at Crack Rackets as we try and prepare you all for the year's third Grand Slam, so be on the lookout for this podcast, the Great Shot podcast, over the next, I think we're going daily uh, through the start of the French Open, things such as, again, dark horses, top contenders, biggest storylines, what we expect all of the action to look out look like excuse me and then of course breakdowns of the draw as well when those come out all of that going to be available on our podcast so be sure to like rate subscribe review to all of our shows share them with your friends be sure to follow our website as well cracked rackets our youtube channel so you don't miss out on any of our content shout out as always to our super producers max lichter and daniel westoff for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. Again, apologies for the delay in this release. We had our Crack Rackets event this past weekend. It was a rousing success. Two great victors in, uh, I believe, J.J. Tracy of Ohio State. And I want to say her first name is Carrie Beckman, uh, a prospective freshman at Notre Dame in 2021. Uh, Both well-deserving champions. and It was so fun for us to just be back in that tennis environment, even when all these parents and kids were wearing masks on the sideline. We're trying to stay socially distanced. But you know, it's still a tennis event. In that atmosphere, it's it's unlike anything else for those of us who have played tennis our whole lives. So that was an absolute blast. Obviously, that led to a delay in podcast, in content for you listeners. Rest assured, though, we're back on our, our game uh, moving forward as we try and prepare for uh, the year's, again, third and final Grand Slam. So be sure to like, rate, subscribe, review all of the podcasts. Again, you want to DM me directly. I'm at All uh, With that in mind, a huge shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code cracked uh, CR15, go to Aerobar.com, use that promo code Cracked15. Uh, but with that being said, for our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, for our wonderful producers, Max here and Daniel Westhoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.